0: good evening everyone my name is richard and i am an alcoholic hey, it is because of god's grace and because the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous can work in our lives and because of the love of people in the fellowship just like that i'm here tonight i'm grateful for that and i'm grateful for the fact that because of these same things it has not great for me to have a drink now eight months In 17
1: years.
0: (laughs) I'm just a substitute. (laughs) I want you to participate with me a little bit tonight since this is the uh, first meeting of the convention and since many of us have come into this room for the first time. Uh, I want to take just a, a minute from my time, if I could, just to do something with you. Would you with me, when I say so, stand up where you are in place and greet somebody near you who you do not know? I would like to make sure that 30 seconds from now that no one in this room is a stranger. So whether you shake hands or hug or however you greet people, please find someone right where you are, and and greet them. Someone you don't know now, please. feel better. I do. Do You feel better? Good. All right. Well, my name is Richard, and I'm an alcoholic. It's great to be with you this evening. I, uh, in thinking about the uh, focus of the convention this weekend, I too uh, spent some time trying to think about gratitude as it applied to my life. I have much to be grateful for. I'll tell you a, a, little, a thing or two about that as the evening goes on, but. I, but the thing about gift of grat- uh, 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 gratitude as a gift, it reminded me of the thing that's so important to me that I would really like to share a little bit with all of you this evening, and that is about the miracles of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I really want to spend time talking to those who are here who may not know about the miracles of Alcoholics Anonymous. If there is anyone in the room, maybe that hasn't had too long in the program yet, is still searching for that reason to stay, still looking at people around you and not knowing exactly what it is they have that you don't, I want to talk a little bit about that, because it was very hard for me to find the miracles of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's my hope that in trying to talk... The rest of you can stay too, by the way, but... I. <laughs> But it's my hope in trying to talk to people who are relatively new in the program that it won't have to be as hard for you as it was for me to grasp uh, the miracles of Alcoholics It should be no surprise to me that AA came hard, because if there's anything that defined uh, me all the time that I was growing up and and, uh, before and after Alcoholics Anonymous, it's that I'm hard-headed and I don't learn very easily. And I always have, find it necessary to try it my way first before I listen to anyone else about how to do things. It started that way from the very beginning of my life. And as I try to tell you just a couple of things about how I was and what I brought to my alcoholism, I want you to know that I, I don't consider my uh, drinking story uh, that important. And I, I don't even remember a lot of it. So. Uh, what I try to talk about are, are some of the feelings that I had and some of them I had long by, before I ever took a drink and I can I can think of two words very quickly I always, from the time I can first have a conscious memory, remember being lonely and depressed and I and, uh, I, I just can't understand exactly why I was that way I didn't uh, I didn't live in a situation like so many people have, where there was a, a, a terrible alcoholism in the home when I was very young and growing up, uh, that, or abuse or that sort of thing. In fact, I I came to uh, came to a family that was a, 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 a small a small town in Ohio, and later a small town in Missouri, and. Uh, had uh, strong church values and uh, civic values, and uh, it was a family that had uh, meals that were kind of like they used to describe the Kennedy meals, where you sat around and debated uh, about public issues. My father was a newspaper publisher, and he wanted to see that all of his children got educated and uh, and set goals for themselves. and. Uh, he he, uh, he he instilled this in us constantly, and it, it, my dad was a, a, a right wing Goldwater Republican, and my mother was a a, a, a Democrat, uh, Roosevelt Democrat from Chicago, and uh, they scared me sometimes at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, there were five children in the family, and after a few years, uh, we found out that, uh, that our family discussions had raised two Democrats, two Republicans, and an alcoholic. <laughs> I was the middle child, and I never could make up my mind about all that stuff. and, and uh, You know, I, I fell away from, from, from that unit a little bit. I don't know, I went looking other places uh for what i needed because i never seemed to i never seemed to fit in there and that's a a part of a pattern that followed me all the time that i was drinking and for a long time in aa i just didn't feel like i fit in and uh, i we moved to missouri when i was in high school and i spent uh, about two years in that town without any friends just kind of being a loner doing my schoolwork and running a paper route and I was very lonely and I didn't feel good in my family. Uh, the I was searching for something not always knowing exactly what and as I told you it took me a uh, uh, it took me a long time to learn lessons and find things. Uh, an example of that is uh, I've always uh, believed in in a, uh, a higher power. I call my higher power God. I've always believed in it. I've searched for God all my life. I wanted to talk to Him. Uh, you know, I wanted to to be on personal terms. And uh, so I I searched all over the place. Uh, I left the Methodist Church because I didn't find what I wanted there. Even though I'd gone to Sunday school for so many years that I've kind of bent over from all the medals i had on my chest. And uh, I went to the Presbyterian Church, I suppose mainly because I was in high school by then, and most of the girls in my class that I wanted to be around were were at the Presbyterian Church. And I <coughs> tried the Christian Church and the Baptist Church and the Episcopal Church. I studied Judaism. I tried Baha'i. When I got out of the California, I went to an Oral Roberts tent meeting. I've been dunked more times than you can count on both hands. And I guess that's one of the miracles for me is that today I can stand here and tell you that I found the idea of God from a bunch of nameless drunks, anonymous, who taught me that the basic idea of God is deep within. And uh, that's one of the first things that I'm grateful for. Uh, Other indications of the hard state of mind of my getting things right and understanding what was going on in life, Uh, it took me 10 years and seven colleges to get a four-year degree. (laughs) Now, in a couple of minutes, when I start talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll get the same pattern, because that's kind of the way I uh, did the steps and uh, and, and work the AA program, but uh, I, there were other things. I had uh, I've had three three marriages and three divorces. I, uh, I I attribute the the demise of each of these marriages to my alcoholism, even though one of them took place after I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's that is one of the chief reasons that I can look at my life and my background and see that alcoholism is more than just drinking, that there are other character defects and other problems that I brought to my alcoholism other than just the fact that I didn't drink very well. Back in the middle of my high school years, somebody asked me to go to a party, and I accepted going to that party on a Monday afternoon in school, and the party was to be that Friday night. It was the last football game of the season. And they were going to go down to Oklahoma at the state line and get some booze and go up to this old shanty uh, dance hall uh, where you, if you could just uh, see over the bar, you could get in and dance and bring your own booze. and. Uh, it sounded great to me, although I wasn't concerned about the booze or anything. I, I, I just liked being asked because it was the first time in two years in that town the kids my own age had asked me to do anything. As a matter of fact, I thought about that party all week. I just couldn't let go of it. All, I daydreamed in classes. I started thinking about that party. As a matter of fact, I think all the thinking I did about what was going to happen at that party and I was going to get the girls and, and I was going to be the Romeo and all these things, all these thoughts that came through my mind all that week in school, the closest I ever got to social drinking. Because when I took my first drink, it didn't happen that way. I not only didn't uh, get any new girlfriends or, or become a... Star of the show or anything. I I didn't care who was. I uh, got a hold of some of that beer and I we first of all we didn't get into the dance hall. The sheriff had raided it and we couldn't go to the dance hall. So we went out on an old country road. I drove down an old country road near here today, along the South Platte River, uh, coming fr- uh, south from the Colorado Springs or north from the Colorado Springs area. And it rem- it kind of reminded me of the of the place where we were, and if you could imagine, it was uh, it was one of those parties where you get two cars just so far apart out in the middle of nowhere and point the lights at each other, and then you turn the radio up in both cars. And if you get right in the right place in the middle, it's kind of like stereo, you know, and. and uh, and we were all set up for this big party there and I got a hold of a six pack of beer and went over and sat down in the bushes. And I did not participate the rest of the evening in anything but emptying those soldiers. And uh, every once in a while I'd empty one and I'd throw it up out into the road and it would crash and they'd say, well, he's still with us. And, And that was, that was it. Now, I should have known that there's something different about my drinking in the fact that these 35, 40 years later, I can still remember that night like it was yesterday. I can still remember every detail. But most of all, I saw a pattern that night. I didn't see it until much later, but there was a pattern that was to follow me for the next 20 years. And that pattern was... I got in trouble, I drank until I got drunk, and I didn't stop until some outside source stopped me. Now, that source stopping me did not happen every day of my life. I didn't get in trouble every day of my life. I'm not sure that I even drank every day for 20 years. I, I just, it started that cycle of getting in trouble and, and, and not wanting to stop. And then there was, uh, later it was, sometimes it was being in jail, sometimes the bars were closed, sometimes I was too sick, sometimes I didn't have enough money. But it was always something outside of me that stopped this drinking on occasion, until the day I found alcohol. So that pattern took place. And then the only other pattern I want to talk about is the fact that all the time that I was drinking, I began to live two lives. My family had told us to set goals, but from the time I started drinking, I could never meet my own goals. I could never meet my family's goals. And so what happened to me was a pattern of beginning to, every time my behavior did not match up with my goals, I would lower my goals to match my behavior that's very alcoholic <laughs> but i didn't know it then um my i mean things went on in my life that uh, i went I, I i quit doing things that i had done before in high school i went to college and i wanted to please my family i joined a fraternity and uh, i loved the fraternity because they had these great keg parties on friday night but I was down in, in Austin, Texas, and uh, all the other guys in the, in the fraternity were a little bit different than I was, because they would, when the party was over, they would go home or, or take their girls home, and and uh, uh, Sunday afternoon study hall, they would show up, and uh, they would show up for classes. With me, when the party was over on Saturday night, it was, let's go to Mexico, and uh, <laughs> And pretty soon I wasn't coming back for Sunday and pretty soon I wasn't coming back Monday. And uh, I was there for a semester and I got my final schedule and I found out there was one 7 o'clock Monday morning English class that I'd never been to. And uh, so I made an orderly retreat from the University of Texas and they don't even know where I am or that I was ever there, it's just kind of a lost weekend only it lasted for a semester (laughs) that's nothing I can't remember the 60s either (laughs) I I went back to college at the University of Arkansas a year or so later and I was in the band at Arkansas I started back in the band and and we went down to Dallas Texas to the Cotton Bowl parade and the Cotton Bowl game uh, and uh, so I, I went down about 10 days early to kind of check out the scene down there and get everything ready and everything and and uh, so I was on a 10 day binge down in Dallas and it came the morning for the parade and for some reason it was down around the freezing point and uh, everybody was kind of huddling in the, in the band and stomping their feet to get warmed up for the parade and everything. And I, I come wandering in with a 10-day beard and a 10-day hangover and a 10-day drunk on. And, and I kind of I kind of walked back to the back of the band and was just kind of bent over just trying to, well, throw up, I guess. <laughs> and I, <clears throat> I looked back there about 30, 30 feet back there and I saw the United States Marine Corps Drum and Bugle Corps. And oh my, they had these Spits shines shoes and the collars. Uh, their their hats were perfect and their uniforms were creased and and they all had shaved and were straight and everything like that. And I'm looking back with one eye because I I couldn't tell how many of them there were. And I looked back there and I thought, you know, that's for me. I'm- So instead of going back to finals at the University of Arkansas, I drove to Kansas City, Missouri and joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> now that's not unique in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've heard a lot of speakers that came in, came to us from the uh, Marine Corps, but the thing that I'm, that's different about me is I want to tell you that that was the worst mistake I ever made. <laughs> I mean, I slept through my first roll call in boot camp, and got six, six weeks of latrine duty and that was the high point.
1: <laughs>
0: but I have to get to the Marine Corps to tell you this thing about the two
1: lives
0: because it was during this period of time that I met Karen who was to become my first wife. Now, I want to tell you, Karen is the most beautiful woman. When she walked into a room it just stopped me in my tracks. I couldn't take my eyes off. And it was even worse when she walked out of her room. And Karen, Karen, uh, I know never went to Al-Anon, but she must have known about Al-Anon. Because, and she never said it in just these many words. But here's how it was for me with Karen. If you want what I have, and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, you're ready to take certain steps. Well, at some of these I bought. I thought I could find an easier and softer way, but I could not. But Karen was a church girl. And so it wasn't long after i found out that the first condition was that i go to church with her on sunday morning so i went to church well it wasn't long after that that karen decided that i should come home and meet mama and mama lived a few miles from the church and so we went to church and then we went to meet mama well this was all happening at about the same time that I had made the decision that the United States Marine Corps was not paying me enough to keep me in the custom to which I was uh, in the way that, to which I had become accustomed. And uh, so I had gotten an extra job as a bartender down at Pat's Bar on Fourth Street in Santa Ana, California. And uh, while I was down there, I uh, uh, tending bar and, and a lot of Marines came in there. And that's where I learned to become a hustler I, I started learning to play the pool table and the and the uh, bowling machines and uh, and the shuffleboard table and I the Marines would come in and I'd hustle them for dollars and beers and then <clears throat> and then I started loan sharking I'd loan them more money to drink more uh, for at uh, terrible interest rates and uh, and uh, just was living a terrible uh kind of a low life sort of an existence in there and and then i was going to church and and uh, i mean i was beginning to feel guilty because it was the very first time where i started realizing that i really wasn't fitting in anywhere in the high road or the low road and uh but i went i went to church and i went to see mama and then and then i finally After about eight months working at that bar, I became the number 10 man on Pat's bar's shuffleboard team. Well, I can see that doesn't impress you. (laughs) I mean, I've just been telling you about every failure I've had here, and I haven't done anything in my whole life. And all of a sudden, I'm number 10 man on the shuffleboard team. And we went up and down the whole coast of California. Every Sunday afternoon into every tavern that you could imagine had a shuffleboard team at these beer bars, and we'd play shuffle bar. And, and I, I, after I left her at Mama's on Sunday afternoon, I'd run down the coast somewhere and to, and, and I'd have a few, few beers on the way to kind of loosen up the golden arm for the shuffleboard tournament. And it wasn't long before we found out that... Uh, Karen was also on a Marine Corps gospel team, and the gospel team also went all up and down the coast of California at churches on Sunday night, uh, singing uh, the singing gospel songs and testifying, and uh, she wanted to know, wouldn't I like to go along? Well, so it's church, mama, golden arms, shuffleboard, and then the gospel ter- uh, team on Sunday night. I mean, I'm getting worn out here. <laughs> and uh, one night, one night, uh, one of the singers didn't show up, so they asked me if I wouldn't sing along. So, <clears throat> well, you know, I mean, you've sung in the bathroom. You know how it is when you've had a few drinks, and I, so I had, a, I, I started singing along with them. And then, it, and then a little bit later, the 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 evangelist didn't show up. Well, if you can have a golden arm, you can have a golden voice, right? You know? So, I went all up and down the coast of California, preaching the word, and I never drew a sober breath. All the time I was doing that. Now, Karen and I got married, and she never knew about my other life, and that's just an example of this thing about living two lives and not being accepted either place. I mean, I I tried to live a good life a lot of times. I tried to do things, but I, I really kind of love the low life better, you know. I mean, back in Missouri, we've got these old roadhouses out in the middle of the country, um, and On a hot summer afternoon, I'd go out there after work, or actually before after work, in the middle of the afternoon, and I'd walk into this place, and they always had a couple of air conditioners blasting, and it was real cold in there, and walk up to the bar and get a couple of great big bowls of draft beer, and drink one down real fast, and take the other one and a handful of quarters, and go over to the jukebox plug that thing full, and then sit and listen to every Patsy climb by, I'm crazy, and, and just, you know, I dance with myself, and just cry, and, oh God, it was wonderful. (laughs) But you can't keep that up if you're an alcoholic. That's the problem. That's the problem. Because you'd be there all afternoon and then everybody else came in. The good old boys that were there just to have a few drinks would come in that evening with their wives. And you're already south. And you go up and immediately, you know, they're just putting their purse on the table and you go up and try to hit on, you know, a buddy's wife and want them to dance and and uh when it gets time to go home you don't know where your car was so will someone take you home it might be 40 miles away and then you throw up in their car <laughs> it just you know you even even in that life an alcoholic doesn't fit in and i just never found a place where i fit and it just kept getting worse i'd try and then it'd go down a little and i'd try and I'd go down further and it just kept these cycles until you know it got so bad and i let's see i i probably skipped a lot of stuff and you're probably grateful for that but i want to tell you that there were a lot of times when i should have known that there was something wrong with me and with the way i drank and i never did i ended up
1: this is in the end of side one please turn the tape over now for side two
0: banana high on a hill, in a nine-room mansion, with three-inch thick carpet, with Cadillacs sitting out in the driveway, on 20 acres overlooking the city where I live. But there wasn't any people in that house, they had all gone. When When my wife came to me and told me if I didn't do something about my drinking, was going to take those kids and leave I told her to get the hell out I wish I hadn't said it like that I wish I hadn't meant that but the truth of the matter was that anything that complicated my life to the extent that I had to think about anything except where the next drink was coming from or how I was going to get through that day I could not handle and I let it all go I let everything go I, I used to say I wasn't an alcoholic because I never let my job go. But it took me many years to realize it's pretty hard to get fired when you work for your mother.
1: <laughs>
0: it, it took my seventh DWI and a bad rep for them to get my attention. My best friend was prosecuting attorney, and I had always been able to talk my way out of DWIs. I could either hire a lawyer or get their charges reduced or something so that I did not have to pay the price for my behavior. But it was all gone. You know, the mortgage payments were behind on the house. They were coming to get the Cadillac, and uh, I was out of credit. I didn't have anything left to buy my way out of anything and he came to me that day and he told me we're not going to do this anymore this time we're going downstairs and talking to the judge or you can go to treatment for 30 days and we'll come back and talk about it then." and I thought that sounded like a very good idea at the moment and I chose to go to treatment and I went to that with all the humility of a Russian tank general. As if I had something left to offer to anybody. I went in there and, and uh, I fought their program all the way. I told them I wasn't going to take basket weaving or AA. And they kept telling me I was going to have to do an inventory and I said no. And finally one day I said all right. And I, the reason was Typical of most of the things that I told you about early, I had been in this 28-day treatment program for 42 days. <laughs> and I was beginning to get the idea that AA might have some appeal to me.
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, besides, there had been a guy coming in on Tuesday and Thursday night ever since I'd been there and picking up patients and taking them to meetings out in the community. And I wanted to know what that guy's scam was. So I agreed to go with him one night because I wanted to see what was in it for him, why he would drive all across town to pick us up and take us to an AA meeting. Because I knew what they were like. I knew he was going to take me down into the slums of that city in the middle of the town. You know those places where they soak over the windows and there's one naked light bulb hanging down the middle. You sit on hard benches and you listen to some old boy talk for 30 minutes and you sing a few hymns and go eat beans. Sometimes I haven't been too far off, you know. (laughs) But that's not the way it was. The way it was, was we went to a church basement in a room that was lit like this one, only smaller, chairs in a circle. People standing around in small groups talking. I used to say that everybody was talking and laughing, but they weren't all laughing. Just like we had an opportunity to laugh together a couple times tonight, I can look around the room and see, because I can know that any time we meet together, that there are those of us who do not know about the miracle. Those who haven't been told about the recovery program of and have not yet been able to experience that change that was to come so hard for me. And it's there, it's in my home group, it's in your home group. It's, there, there are people, every time we get together, there's someone there that can tell you something about what you need to know for your recovery that particular day. It's very seldom, probably, as a speaker, It could well be somebody around the coffee table, or you might run into your sponsor. It might very well be that I get the lessons that I need from the people that I might tend to avoid a little bit because I'm not quite as close to them as others. You know, one of the things that I have thought about Alcoholics Anonymous is that how well we do, uh, Indy was talking about service as as she introduced me. I think the kind of service that we know about naturally and that we do with feeling, is the kind of service of, of welcoming newcomers into our midst, you know, putting our arms around them and, and, and making them feel welcome, holding their coffee cup if it's necessary, getting them a cup of coffee, giving them a phone number, telling them to keep coming back. We do that almost with a natural instinct in AA as alcoholics. And there was something about that that started happening at that first meeting I went to that felt good to me. I felt good that I was someplace where somebody wanted me to come back. And it didn't matter who I was or where I'd been and any of the... The BS that I put on people about what I could do and what I had done and all that kind of stuff didn't matter in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was there just because I needed help just like they did and that we were there to help each other and we do that well. What I wonder about sometimes, whether we do it very well or not, is is on an ongoing basis, as we stay in a little bit longer in Alcoholics Anonymous, do we do that with the people that are around us week after week and year after year in our home group? How long has it been since we've gone up to, an, an, to an, our sponsor or an old-timer and given them a hug and tell them how much we appreciate everything they've done for us? i think that's the thing that i think about when i'm thinking about the focus of this convention and about the miracles of alcoholics anonymous is that when i came into this program i could not love anybody i could not love myself i didn't care about you i didn't like you i didn't want your program i just wanted to get that judge off my back and get my family off my back and I would stay long enough to get that done, and then I'm out of here. And something happened that changed all that. And that something is what I want to share as I come to a close tonight. And as I do this, I want to talk for just a couple of minutes for those of you who are in this room who've got a less than a year of sobriety and I don't mean to embarrass you, but so I can see who you are, would you mind showing me your hand if you've been in AA for less than a year? The reason I ask is because I hope that tonight there will be one thing that I am able to say that will help make your path easier than I made my own by all the mistakes, all the false paths, all the easier ways that I wanted to try in AA just like I wanted to try all my life. Now I, I wish, I wish somehow that I was able to package the AA recovery program in such a way that I could reach out and give it to you tonight. And you would know the miracle of alcoholics. But I can't do that. I'm just not capable. I'm not able to do that. And most of us aren't. Because Alcoholics Anonymous is like this $10 bill I have in my hand. I'd like you to have this $10 bill, but I cannot. I'd like to give it to you. I'd like to give you the AA program. If you want the AA recovery program, it's like this $10 bill. I'd like to give it to you, but I can't. If you want it, you've got to reach out and take it. If you've got less than a year in AA, listen to me. AA is like this $10 bill. If you want it, you've got to reach out and take it. 18 months after I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. Not to hear anything, not to do anything, but to get away from my family. (laughs) But the first miracle of my AA program happened at that convention. I didn't like the speaker on Friday night. (laughs) I was going to leave. But I hadn't, I'd paid my hotel bill, I'd stayed all night, and I was getting ready to leave the next morning. And I went down through the lobby, and I looked at a bunch of people going into this room on the side. And in there, I felt like I had to go. I don't know why, I just felt pulled into there. And I went in, and there was a, a, a bald black guy smoking a pipe sitting up at the head table. And this little scrawny hick that I later found out was from Maysville, Arkansas, called Joe and Charlie. And I don't know whether it was because their higher powers in that room that day or whether mine was in there for me, but I heard something that day that made me join Alcoholics Anonymous. 18 months after I came in here. It, I've heard people talk about they were born alcoholic. People who say they crossed an invisible line. People say that they just became alcoholics. I became an alcoholic 18 months after I Because that was the day that I accepted that my life was... that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life was... Un- and what caught my ear for me to make that decision that day was something that they were reading about from the big book in the part that you never read. You know, that's got the X's and the I's and all that up in the front. There was a paragraph that I'm going to try to paraphrase, because those of you who have not felt the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous might identify with this in the way that I did. It was in there, and to paraphrase it, it was talking about that we who are alcoholics drink differently than other people. It's because we have an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. And when we don't drink, we become irritable and restless and discontented. And our mind can trick us into the idea that we can drink like other people. And we take the drink, and it triggers the allergy, and we're off again on the well-known spree, waking up full of remorse, promising that we'll never do it again. but we become irritable and restless and our mind tricks us into the idea that we can drink with impunity like other people. We take the drink, the allergy, we're off again on a well-known spree, wake up full of remorse, promising we'll never do it again. That vicious circle that was described in those words in the doctor's opinion about alcoholism for the first time showed me that I belonged in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that I was an alcoholic. Now, it was not easy after that. I mean, that's not, that's not everything. But I can tell you that from that day until this, my life has been full of miracles, full of things that have brought great joy to me. I wish I had time to, to tell you about some of them, but I really don't. But that's not important either. The important thing is that I didn't have anything going for me and that because of the recovery program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I do have something to lose today. And that's why it's so important for me to identify with that paragraph about alcoholism because I don't have a drinking problem tonight. I haven't had a drinking problem in a long time but just as sure as I'm standing here I suffer from the illness of alcohol the character defects that I brought to this program are still there they pop up and if I don't depend on a daily basis a higher power of my understanding I can foul up my life in 5 minutes second to no day out of my drunken past. I can do it today just like that, without alcohol, because these character defects are part of my alcoholism, and that's why I have to work this program on a daily basis. And there's a warning in the big book that tells us that if we don't do this, That this precious gift of sobriety is only a daily gift based upon the maintenance of our spirit and that's why we learn in the 12th step that after we have worked these steps that we can have a spiritual awakening and carry this message to other alcoholics and it's my firm conviction that these other alcoholics that it's talking about in the 12th step are not necessarily people still out there tonight sitting on a bar stool in Denver, Colorado. Sometimes they're sitting right next to us at an A. Sometimes they have six months of sobriety, or 17 years, eight months, and 20 days, or 30 years, or 35 years. And that's why I think we need to love each other on a daily basis just as much as we seem to love newcomers. Because if we don't do this thing together, don't do our own small part to keep AA alive, it might not be there for our children and our grandchildren. This thing all started some 58 years ago. And it started not because a drunk reached out for help off the street. It started and grew like wildfire and brought us here tonight because the same miracle that happened to me in that big book study room in Hot Springs, Arkansas happened to Bill Wilson in Akron, Ohio in 1935. He was in that town on a business trip that had failed. His friends had all left to go back to New York. He was there alone, and I think he was probably lonely and depressed in the same way I was. And he went back to his hotel, and he heard the familiar sounds that we all loved so well in those honky-tonk bars in Missouri. And I think If I can imagine it my way, that he became irritable and restless and discontented. And his mind was tricking him into the idea that he could drink like other people. And what intervened at that moment was this miracle, this brief moment of clarity. The same moment of clarity that drew me into that room that day. And he called a drunk not because that drunk had asked for help but because a sober drunk six months sober felt like he needed to talk to somebody to protect his own sobriety and folks if Alcoholics Anonymous ever gets to be anything except one drunk talking to another drunk to share experience strength and hope I don't want to be any part of it. I have been given gifts, I have been given miracles, I have been given love, all of which I do not deserve, and all that I have ever been asked to do in return.